begin today, I would like us to try something together. Without looking at your bulletin, I'd like for us to recite the 23rd Psalm in the King James Version. Because that's the one Jesus used. <laughs> you may think this is not something that you can do. And I'm flying without a net. Uh, my Bible is closed. But I bet many of you will be surprised. And if you get lost along the way, just listen to the community around you. And they will bring you back home. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they come up for me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, like cup out of the run of Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Give yourselves an A plus. It's a warm blanket on a cold night. It's an embrace of an old friend after too much time apart. It's a long, slow walk on a sunlit beach. It's peace that passes all understanding. If there is a more beloved, more well-known passage of Scripture, I don't know what it is. I was standing in a circle surrounding the hospital bed of a woman who was 97 years of age. In that circle were several, several generations of children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. The time of her death was approaching. And at the end of my visit there with all of that family gathered, she asked us if we could get in a big circle. And we did. And once we were there, she said, Pastor, will you read the 23rd Psalm? I had not brought a Bible with me. And I said that. And she said, we do not need a Bible for the 23rd Psalm. With a look that conveyed I should have known better. So I did the only thing I could. I, I began, the Lord is my shepherd. Just as I did here. And soon, just as you did here, everyone around the bed was doing their best to join in. In the King James Version, of course. I shall not want. And a sense of peace just descended on that, on that room. Beneath the noise of the hospital shift change going on outside, you could still make out, if you were really listening, the sounds of the wind and the pasture land, the quiet waters, the voice of the shepherd guiding us all, especially this beloved one 
lying in bed. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Not everyone knew every word, but when they stumbled, the circle kept, kept it going, carried them along, and soon enough they were back into the cadence of things, saying words that cut deep grooves generation to generation to generation. When we reach the end, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, she said, Amen. And we said, Amen. And as we bathed in that peace, she looked up around that circle and said, My cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. I have recited this song with people throughout my ministry preparing for surgeries, with couples at their wedding, after the birth of babies, at the graveside. People who may not have opened a Bible in years or ever will recognize these words. All you have to say is, the Lord is my shepherd. But there are two sides to knowing something this beautiful, and knowing it this well. It is the sheer magnificence of the thing, the overwhelming peace it offers and its familiarity that can cause us to miss the radical message at its core. One that brings not only comfort, but a challenge as well. A summons to orient our lives in ways that place trust in the reality this psalm proclaims. That because the Lord is our shepherd, we have everything we need. We shall not want. One of you told me not long ago that you believe there was no more difficult passage in Scripture than that first verse. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Henry Nouwen wrote, as fearful people, we are inclined to develop a mindset that makes us say, there's not enough food for everyone, so I better be sure to save some for myself in case of emergency." Or there's not enough knowledge for everyone to enjoy, so I better keep my knowledge to myself so no one else will use it. Or there's not enough love to give to everybody, so I better keep my friends for myself to prevent others from taking them away from me. This, he writes, is scarcity mentality. It involves hoarding whatever we have. Fearful we won't have enough to survive. The tragedy, however, is that what you cling to ends up rotting in your hand. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I have everything I need. Think about that. Maybe this is tougher than we first thought when we were hearing it earlier. Maybe its familiarity has caused us to miss its invitation. Everything in this psalm points to our relationship to God as sheep to a shepherd. Sheep are completely dependent on the shepherd's care. It's the shepherd who provides the food, the green pastures. It's the shepherd that leads the sheep to the still waters from which we drink. It's the shepherd who guides us through the valley of the shadow of death and creates the peace that fears no evil. It's the shepherd who, in the face of all that frightens us, all that we might call enemy, sets a table for us. It's only because of the abundance of the shepherd that our cup overflows. It's the shepherd's goodness and mercy that follows and sustains us. The sheep has utter trust and confidence in the shepherd. The sheep is not frightened in this song because the sheep is not alone, not autonomous, not required to fend for itself. For thou art with me. The glory of this song is the trust that the psalmist places in the shepherd, the trust that frees him to live in the here and now, not with a fearful sense of lack, but with the assurance and joy that comes with knowing the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Even though this psalm is in the first person, it's very intimate, and it seems a deeply individual act of prayer, it is a call not just to individuals, but to the community. I have a colleague who serves a church in a rural area of North Carolina. And when he first came to that little Presbyterian church, there were no families with children. So they started an after-school program, which proved popular among many of the low-income families in that community who needed a safe and affordable, and in this case free, place for their children to go while they worked. The church itself was solidly middle class. The families being reached through this program were not. One Sunday morning, a mother arrived with her four children in tow. They had been coming to the after-school program, and the mother had taken seriously the invitation of the church to come worship. As my friend describes it, these were the first children to grace that sanctuary in quite some time. And from the behavior of the children, he said, it was evident that this might have been the first sanctuary they had ever graced or the first worship service they had ever attended. That decent and orderly Presbyterian church was a fidgety one that morning. One of the smaller children kept getting out of the pew and running down the aisle. Throughout the service, they talked and climbed and laughed and cried. 
But it was during the coffee time that followed worship downstairs that my friend was cornered by three longtime members. Those children, they said, have eaten all the cookies. <laughs> it seems this is where they drew the line <laughs> at the cookies. If they keep coming, there will not be enough. The next day in his office, he was really struggling with how to respond, trying to think of how to handle these new visitors who had said quite joyfully on the way out the door they would be back the next week, and the great cookie crisis they had brought in their wake. And that's when he heard the voice of Betsy, he said, calling down the hallway, Pastor, Pastor, a little help here. He walked out the door of his study and down the hall, and there at the front door was Betsy. She was propping the door with her foot, trying to carry three large paper bags filled with packages of cookies. She had also, as everyone in the fellowship hall had heard, the murmuring during the coffee time. And she told my friend, her pastor, you know, that's an easy fix. Got these two for one at Walmart. You tell me when they are running low, and I will buy more. Plenty of cookies for everybody. And my friend remarked that the amazing thing about Betsy was not that she did this, but the spirit in which she did it. She didn't badmouth the cookie grumblers. She didn't even mention them. She didn't begrudge the personal expense. She didn't ask for uh, her money back. She saw a need and responded out of an abundant and joyful and authentic heart. She was convinced that if God had called these children to be part of her church, her call was to welcome them generously and to love them as her own. And she did. I once heard a man at a church retreat say in a small group that he had been, he had been raised to believe, he said, really, through the actions of his people during his childhood. To think that love was a limited resource and contingent resource. He said, I only had so much to give, so I kept it small. Myself and my family, a few close friends. So when my wife said, we have to go to church, I said, okay. But in my mind, I was not going to love any of you, as he looked around the circle. I didn't think there was enough love to go around. But what God has taught me here is that love is not a limited resource. I know it's a cliche, but it is a cliche because it is true. The more love you give, the more you have to give. It doesn't diminish in the giving. It grows. It is easy to lose our what? A sheep? Just listen to the news on any given day, and 
it's a drumbeat of not enough, contingent love, hunker down. Oh, that can begin to shape us and make it even harder to hear the voice of the shepherd. The most profound moment in this psalm for me is when the psalmist proclaims, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When I took Hebrew for the first time, I learned that that Hebrew word, follow, can also be translated pursue. Goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy are always on our heels. They're like the, they're like the shepherd's dogs seeking us out when we lose our way, comforting us when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, prodding us awake when we are tempted to huddle in fear, thinking we don't have enough thinking we are not enough. Goodness and mercy, all the days of our lives, all the days. Do we have eyes to see this? Some days we do and some days we don't. But that does not change the presence of the shepherd and the goodness and mercy the shepherd sends out to guide us home. Sometimes we may even forget the words of this song. When that happens, just listen for the voices in this circle, this community of love and goodness and mercy, saying them for you until you find your place back in the fold, your cup overflowing. Because there's always enough for everyone. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. You can join in any time. He restoreth my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.